0: Welcome to the Be Good Podcast, where we explore the application of behavioral economics for good in order to nudge better business and better lives.
1: Hi, and welcome to this episode of Be Good, brought to you by BVA Nudge Consulting, a global consultancy specializing in the application of behavioral science for successful behavioral change. Every month, we get to speak with a leader in the field of behavioral science, in order to get to know more about them, their work, and its application to emerging issues. My name is Eric Singler, founder of uh, and CEO of DVN Consulting, and with me is my colleague, Suzanne Kirchgandal, leading our North America office. Hi, Suzanne.
0: Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get to join you for this episode. I'm very delighted to be introducing our guest, Dr. Ayelet Fishbach. Ayelet is a professor of behavioral science and marketing at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and the past president of the Society for the Study of Motivation and the International Social Cognition Network. As an award-winning researcher and author of the newly released book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation, she's here to share some of her insights with us today. Ayelet, welcome
2: to the Be Good podcast. Hi, Eric. Hi, Suzanne. So good to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for joining us uh, today for this uh, new Be Good uh, episode. We are uh, really excited uh, to have you join us and to discuss this wonderful uh, book. So first, uh, as Suzanne just mentioned, you have a PhD in psychology from, I think, Tel Aviv University. Uh, can you tell us about how you came to be interested in motivation science?
2: Well, well there is nothing more interesting. I don't know why everybody else is like, not interested in uh, motivation science, uh, and uh, so it's it's uh, for me it was very natural. I, I actually uh, I never left school, kind of. I know um, where came to uh, Tel Aviv University uh, as a, a, a psychology student, as a college psychology student, and fell in love with social psychology and uh, uh, started my PhD working with Yakov Trope and was really interested in motivation, which was a very small field at the time. So I remember that my first paper on uh, uh, motivation that I did as a graduate student, which was just like describing the theory. There was very little, I could kind of cover it all, and it was kind uh, uh, easy. Uh, then uh, um, many people discovered the potential, a field of behavioral economics uh, uh, came about and, uh, uh, and there was like so much that's going on in motivation science at the moment. So I, I was very lucky to uh, join the field at the right time. Yeah,
1: and uh, I think uh, being a student in Tel Aviv University, after I think Danny uh, Kahneman uh, and Amos Tversky, uh, maybe should be for someone interested in psychology something wonderful.
2: Uh, yes, I, I was a student uh, by the end of the nineties. By then, they were already in the US, uh, but uh, they often came to visit, and so I had to sit uh, through uh, lectures by Amos Tversky, which I still consider to be very lucky uh, to be there.
1: Could you share about any mentors that had a strong influence on you? Do you have any researcher or other people who have played an influential role in your professional career?
2: Oh, so many. The, the business of doing science is very much a, a community effort. Uh, ideas are very much born out of a conversation, whether over coffee or at a conference or, or hearing talks. So I I was very inspired by uh, my PhD advisor, Yakov Trope, who uh, with me decided that it would be a good idea to study motivation at the time where... People suggested that I might be able to get a job in education or in health psychology, but not as a social psychologist or behavioral scientist. So he was an inspiration. I uh, was very inspired by Arya Kuglansky at the University of Maryland, who I came to work with as a postdoc and remained a a close collaborator, Uh, Arya and I did a work on goal systems theory and understanding how people juggle multiple goals. And and, and to this day, I'm just inspired by many of my students and, and my colleagues and the people I uh, work with on behavioral change. So a long list, but I will start with these two. And
1: uh, is there one experiment you have conducted that stands out in influencing your thinking or perhaps one that you are most proud of?
2: So there was no single study uh, that uh, completely changed uh, uh, everything. Okay? So the, uh, it's more of uh, you run the study and sometimes you are surprised by the results, sometimes not, and then you, uh, uh, you go on. Um, so it, it's, I can mention some studies that I in particular like. Uh, let me uh, mention one study with uh, uh, Caitlin Woolley where we asked people to choose between listening to an alarm clock and the song Hey Jude by the Beatles Uh, sounds like an easy choice but we promised higher payment for people who would listen to the alarm clock and so the majority of our participants chose the alarm clock Uh, we then had another group of people that we kind of nudge to make one of these decisions and then ask them how much they regretted their decision and it turned out that people regretted choosing their alarm clock uh, more than they regretted choosing that the lovely song and so uh, th- that was an, an insight into understanding how much people don't get intrinsic motivation and how intrinsic motivation will be important for them where they need to follow through on something they signed up to, to do. So, so that was a fun experiment. I want to mention another one that I thought was kind of fun. That was a, a, with Rima to Artillery. We were looking at the middle problem and how motivation to do anything is high at the beginning, is high at the end, if there's an end, if it's an all-or-nothing uh, goal, but kind of not quite there in the middle. Uh, and what we did was giving people a pair of scissors and a paper on which we drew many shapes, and they had to cut these shapes. And they did a very good job with the first shape and the last shape, but they were literally cutting corners in the middle. And It was <laughs> just a nice illustration of uh, how like, people relax their standards when they're in the middle of a task.
1: Now, Suzanne, I think you want to talk about the birth of a great book.
0: Oh yes very much. So Ayala, your new book, Get It Done was just recently released can you tell us about the inspiration behind writing it?
2: Uh, So yes it uh, just came out in January it's very much uh, new uh, uh, to me and it came from uh, my feeling a few years ago that uh, there is uh, so much that happened in motivation science, and it felt like a messy boom full with like these hidden treasures, like so many strategies. And I felt that I really needed a framework to understand what can you do to motivate yourself? What, what are the elements that you should consider At that time, my daughter, I have three kids. One of them uh, was starting med school and we thought it would be a good idea if I write to her and uh, she reads it and she learns about it and she also makes uh, her comments on the draft. And so it was kind of a mother-daughter project. I was organizing the field. Uh, She was commenting on that. We had a lot of fun with that. And uh, uh, like a couple of years later, there was a book. And that is so fun
0: very appropriate for a book on motivation to come out in january when everyone's making their new year's resolutions
2: uh, yeah yeah that uh, worked well also you know like writing during a pandemic uh, initially seemed impossible but then you know we were all stuck at home so that was kind of the right time to uh, write
0: yeah why not yeah Just get a book done, love it. So what do you think popular culture misunderstands the
2: most about
0: motivation?
2: There are a few things that people um, don't quite get. I I think that one common mistake is to uh, to think that uh, motivation is uh, about changing the self and not changing the circumstances. And so we, uh, we think that if we'll just tell ourselves that we should be a different person, uh, that uh, is going to result in a change. I will just tell my future self that she's going to get up early in the morning morning and, and run three miles a day. Uh, well, if my present self is not excited about doing it, then my future self is not going to do it either and something has to change in the situation. Okay. Maybe I have uh, someone who's running with me. Uh, maybe I change my sleeping schedule, so I'm more awake uh, in the morning. Um, maybe I actually exercise in the afternoon. And, and, and maybe I don't run. Maybe I do something else. And I, I give this example because I I think that people often make their plans not taking themselves into account with their limitations, with what's fun for them, with what's exciting, and not realizing that it is really about your situation, that with the right people, at the right time, you can do things that you cannot do at a different time or with a different company.
0: Yeah, that was a central idea throughout your book, that idea that behavior is largely context-dependent. And I would say in our own work at BVA Nudge, We often encounter this idea that there are just a handful of some behavioral tricks that you can change your behavior if you change your thoughts or these sorts of things or your attitudes or your awareness. But as we all know, as behavioral scientists, it's really not that easy. So why do you think people so often misunderstand or overlook the importance of context in changing behavior?
2: Oh, there there is actually a lot of work showing that we ignore context and we ignore context because our attention is on the player. (laughs) Okay, Uh, going all the way back to the fundamental attribution error, when we explain someone's behavior, uh, we ignore the situation. (laughs) Okay, we say they were late because they are tardy, not because there was horrible traffic or uh, not because it was very hard uh, to to get on time to a particular place uh, we we look at the actor okay and we uh, think that if you want to change the actor's behavior then you need to change the actor and not their situation and what all behavioral scientists basically realize and and like your work is a exactly on, on this, is that, well, if you change the context, then the actor is going to behave in a different way. Okay? There are no uh, uh, lazy people and people that work hard. Okay? There are people that are in a situation where they are excited to work and people that are in an impossible situation where they just can't get things done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there were a lot of really good takeaways and advice in your book, of course. But you as the author, what would you most like your readers to take away from the book?
2: Yeah, well, if I could say it in one sentence, then... Uh, <laughs> in a short not, book. <laughs> yeah, I would not need to spend uh, time uh, writing a book. So I, I will say that like the starting point is that you do need to change your circumstances. That you do need to, to change the either the, the situation or the way you frame it, okay? Often it's not actually the situation, it's the way you see the situation, okay? It's instead, for example, looking at what uh, is you still need to do, directing your attention to what you've already accomplished. Uh, there are many examples of that, changing the, the framing. Uh, the, Other takeaway is that you want to think about behavioral change as something that requires four elements. It requires that you have set the right goal, that you know how to monitor progress, that you uh, are able to fit this goal to everything else that is going on in your life, so uh, juggling multiple goals. And the fourth element, that you have social support, that you can leverage the the people around you to uh, help you. Excellent. And
0: I know Eric has some questions for you on that first element of choosing that goal.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seems uh, that uh, defining goals is uh, quite obvious. And after reading your book, it is quite clear that choosing your goal is an absolutely key step. And required to be really well uh, defined. So, can you explain more about your strategy for setting better goals?
2: Yes. Uh, I would first say that the goal needs to be the right goal for you. Okay. It needs to fit your life, it needs to fit your circumstances. And I give the example of uh, uh, getting to the summit of Mount Everest, which is a uh, a highly motivating goal. It actually has all the ingredients for uh, setting the right goal. Okay, it has a very clear endpoint. Can you know exactly whether you have reached the summit of the Everest. Uh, it is uh, uh, highly incentivized. Uh, it is intrinsically motivated. So you might not care about the incentive. It's challenging. Okay, it's a do goal. It's not a do not goal. Okay, you want to approach something. You don't want to avoid. So everything that i recommend is in this goal except for for some people it's not the right goal and when the weather is bad it's not the right goal for anybody and i give the, the unfortunate uh, story i tell the unfortunate story uh, in my book of a group of mountaineers that basically paid with their lives and uh, because uh, they, they were Highly motivated to make it to the, the summit, and it turned out that it's easier to get to the summit and make it back. Uh, and you know, th- this is you know, for, for other people, this is like extreme sports or extreme diet or uh, anything that uh, might not be right for you. So, first, this needs to be a healthy goal okay, a goal that uh, the content is right. And, and then, uh, just to reiterate uh, uh, the elements that I just mentioned. Uh, Ideally, there is a number on it, so you know how much and how soon. Uh, ideally, that's a uh, do goals and not a uh, do not uh, uh, goals. Approaching is easier than avoiding, unless there is urgency. And you know, it's a short term urgent uh, goal, uh, then avoiding is, is fine. Um, intrinsic motivation, uh, not making it too specific and making it challenging.
1: I would like to uh, come back on uh, uh, some and to help our listener to define uh, and to choose the uh, right goals. What do people need, from your perspective, to look out for when goal setting?
2: Uh, yeah, so uh, let me mention uh, a few things that people might not uh, get intuitively. Fantasizing, okay? um thinking about how amazing it's going to be uh, uh, to be there to uh, uh, get to that the goal uh, this is less effective than people think and that actually according to gabriel ottingen's research can backfire okay that means that when people fantasizing getting the diploma or making it to the promotion or whatever is their goal okay like uh, getting married uh, that is not necessarily the best motivator there uh, to study or to work hard uh, or to uh, start dating people okay depending on the goal uh, it's often better to have the, the goal in terms of uh, something that is a plan okay and understanding the obstacle and understanding how you're going to to get there and so i would say setting a goal that is uh that is motivating, okay, that is not a chore, okay, that it's an ideal uh, end state, uh, but that is connected to action. And we often talk about trying to set a goal that is not too concrete, okay, trying to ask many why questions. Why do you want to do this? You understand the purpose, you're not too much focused on the concrete details, but ask the why questions until it's no longer connected to an action and go back and ask some how questions, okay? So to, to give you an example, that you might tell me that you, you, your goal is to finish this project at work, and I would say, like, why do you want to do this? And you say, because like, this project is just a part of what the largest thing that I'm trying to achieve this year, and then why do you want to do this? And you will give me an answer, and, I, and eventually you will say, well, because my goal is to uh, uh, be successful, okay? And that I would say is probably too abstract because when you think about being successful what exactly that means okay what a successful person does when they get up in the morning okay and and then I would say okay well how are you going to be successful maybe go a couple of levels below that Okay, so that you set the goal at the place where it's connected to action and it's not a fantasy.
1: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned, I think, uh, that uh, it has to be an abstract goal and to have a meaning, but at the same time, not being too vague.
2: Yes. Y- yes, and, and you know, this is when uh, uh, like people are often with resist advice that is kind of do something, but don't do it too much. But unfortunately, yeah, like be abstract, but don't be in the sky, okay, because that's not uh, helpful. Uh, and another thing that I think, uh, let me mention a couple of other things that I think are absolutely critical and people often don't get, okay. Uh, one is intrinsic motivation, okay, that the goal needs to feel good while you are doing it or to feel right while you are doing it so you we will find out that it's very hard to persist on a goal when all the rewards are in the long run, okay, after you already did the work, okay. It's like uh, signing up to to study for a degree where there is nothing that is interesting in in studying, but you want the reward of having the the degree, okay, of getting a job that you don't enjoy at all, uh, but you uh, expect will lead you to somewhere in, in your career, uh, these are plans that uh, don't work for people. People don't follow through. Okay, so uh, it's really important to take intrinsic motivation, the immediate satisfaction. Okay, feeling that doing it is already rewarding uh, into account, even for goals that are. Not one hundred percent intrinsically motivating, and many times when we set a goal, we are not intrinsically motivated okay we we think that this is important for us okay we we want to do it despite the fact that it doesn't feel good well, if you pay attention to how to make it feels a little bit better, you have a better chance okay? invest in, in finding the intrinsic motivation and then the other thing that I often see as a mistake is when people set long-term avoidance goals. <laughs> and I, I briefly mentioned that avoidance goals, such as like don't think about something, okay? or like don't think about your ex, okay? or don't smoke, or uh, don't eat that food, uh, don't spend money, they tend to work in the short run. Uh, it's hard to persist it's hard to have the stamina uh, if it's about not thinking about something well when you try not to think about something that act of trying not to think about it brings it to mind okay it's uh, uh, then when there's ironic processes when you try not to think about white bear how do you know that you are successful you think about do I think about white bears? And here you brought it back to your attention. Uh, so, so, so this tends to not work very well. Other uh, avoidance uh, goals tend to elicit reactance. Okay, and so you know, I, I want to eat exactly the food that I said that I will not eat, and I want to. Uh, uh, do exactly the, the thing that uh, I am set not uh, to do. So, you know, telling yourself that you should not engage in, in social media. Uh, well, it's better to set your goal as what you are going to do instead during that time.
1: And um, it reminds me of a conversation we had some uh, months ago with uh, Wendy Wood, and uh, it's about uh, making rewards Uh, very uh, immediate and tangible uh, which has a link with this uh, idea of intrinsic uh, motivation. If the activity is intrinsically rewarding, it means that uh, there is a a great opportunity to adopt it as an habit.
2: Yes, absolutely. And rewards are really mini-goals. So, you know, the the reason that I... want to to do this project might be because I want to be successful at work, but if I promise myself a nice cup of tea for finishing writing ten pages, that's a you know that's a reward and, and that's a mini goal. So now I'm working toward this uh, thing. Uh, if I make pursuing the goal Nicer, more pleasant, just and the rewards as I pursue the goal that's even better. And to give you an example, like we found that when we uh, introduced uh, uh, music and colored pencils to a math class, then middle school students were more motivated to to do math. Okay. Uh, Personally, for me, I find music distracting. I don't work well listening to music, but for many people, that's the reward. Okay, and it's immediate. And you know, I think that everybody should try that.
1: Can you talk uh, a little bit more about the importance of this key concept of framing?
2: Yeah. Yes. Uh, what we mean by framing is that you can think about. Everything in more than that one way. Uh, I give the example of how we monitor our progress toward a the goal. There is a, the glass half empty or quarter empty, or the glass half full or, or quarter full, right? And and this is really in the framing. Okay, uh, let's say that I need to finish four year college. I can think about the fact that I already finished the first year or the fact that I still have three years to go. And uh, in my work with uh, Ming Jiang Ku, uh, we found that, these framings really matter that for novices it is much more motivating to look at what they've achieved, and for experts it's much more motivating to look at what uh, uh, is missing. Another example of framing is how you, you think about a temptation. Okay? How do you think about uh, uh, something that you are hoping to replace with, with something else? Okay? A donut. A, uh, a donut can be uh, a, a nice, uh, sweet, uh, like pleasurable snack, okay, or uh, uh, something that will ruin my diet, okay. And and this is the framing. And when you set your priorities as like sticking to my healthy eating goal is above enjoying donuts, then you change the meaning of eating a donut. A failure is a big one. Okay. We all fail all the time. Okay, like we, we have said decks. Okay, Like we try something and it doesn't work. I actually recommend that we all fail because I, I encourage people to set goals that are very challenging. Okay, so likely the or, there is a good chance you will not quite meet your goal. You will fall a little bit uh, below that. Uh, how you frame this experience really matters. Are you growing for failure? Are you learning new information? Or uh, are you framing failure as a sign that uh, you, this is just not for you? Okay, this is framing.
1: Yeah, yeah. this concept is absolutely amazing. Framing, and we could uh, use framing to motivate ourselves. It's really uh, uh, funny to nudge Uh, Ourselves with uh, such a concept. Um, At the BVA Energy Consulting, we are working quite a lot with private organizations, so we are very interested to have your point of view regarding the advice you uh, would have for manager and business leader who are trying to motivate their team using goals and other tools.
2: Uh, So let me say a couple of things then. I would say that uh, you want to engage your team in setting their own goals. Okay, uh, when uh, uh, goals are self-set, there is more commitment, okay? There is a better understanding of what's the purpose of uh, setting the goal. The goal usually, like in an organizational setting, has the, has two numbers, like how much and how soon, okay? So you, you, you'll do uh, like this number of sales or whatever by uh, the end of the month. Uh, and so engage uh, the team, engage people in uh, setting their goals. Try to get people to set goals that are ambitious and in particular targets that are ambitious. So think about the ideal target as something that a person has 80% chance of achieving. Meaning if they don't achieve it, well, that's hardly a surprise and what matters is that they worked hard, uh, but it's not so impossible that they give up. Okay, and going all the way back to like achievement, motivation, and, and this is work by Atkinson. really in the early days of motivation science, uh, what people observed is that there is high motivation when something is, is difficult but not impossible. Okay, so if the task is easy, then people are just relaxing there. If the task is impossible, then people are, again, just relaxing there. But there is the, the, the right level where I know that if I work hard, I'm going to get it, uh, that is uh, uh, highly motivating for people. So this would be one uh, important organizational uh, message. And I, you know, I, I, I can't underemphasize intrinsic motivation. Uh, when you're managing people, Now, what's interesting for you, what's exciting for you might not be what's exciting for them. So the work is understanding what's intrinsically motivating for them, Uh, but also understanding the variety is intrinsically uh, motivating. The purpose is intrinsically uh, motivating. And so everything that you can do to the task so that it is more varied and more purposeful uh, is going to increase employees' engagement.
1: Uh, What do you think about purpose? Because we know that a lot of companies uh, are trying to uh, uh, identify values and uh, purpose that are supposed to motivate uh, people, employees, consumers. What is your perspective about uh, purpose?
2: Yeah, it's actually quite critical that people understand why they are doing the thing that they are doing, that there is a purpose for our uh, actions. Uh, We see that uh, for the majority of the the people uh, going to work is something that they do because it's meaningful for who they are, it's part of their uh, identity. And we see that more with uh, younger people, with millennials, with uh, college graduates. Both education and uh, age uh, relate to how much people see their, their job as a career, okay, is something that uh, is important for who they are as, as a person. And... If you're doing your work because you are trying to develop as a person because you want to, to make good impact on the world, because you want to do something that uh, that reflects uh, well on, on the world and on you, uh, then purpose is, is important. Okay, you, and, and people need to understand the purpose of what they're doing. And if you think about it, like our everyday job is often much more mundane, like we often don't focus on the purpose, right? Like I, I, you know, I'm talking at the accounting uh, uh, students or accountants. And now often what you do is just uh, uh, figuring out uh, the, the numbers, okay? And, and then it, it's very mundane and you really need to understand that the purpose here is to They have a functional uh, uh, society and support democracy and and help people uh, uh, handling their their finances. Uh, another example is from research. I, uh, you know, I, I get uh, PhD students coming here, and what they want is to change the world, okay? They want to make the world a better place. And then I say, yes, but what you are going to do is uh, uh, writing surveys and then giving them to group of people and then uh, calculating T-tests and anovas and regression lines. Uh, and you sometimes need to help the person see that no, This very mundane world has purpose okay? by figuring out, figuring out this regression line. We will learn something about people that will later on enable us to make positive change in the world.
1: I think uh, there is a, a big challenge uh, regarding goals, uh, which is about competing goals. and I think Suzanne has some questions about this challenge.
0: Definitely. So this came up a little bit earlier in our conversation, and it certainly comes up in work settings. There's often lots of different goals to juggle. So a lot of your research has to do with self control and how people protect their long term goals from short term temptations. And we talked a little bit about how framing might help that. But what does the research tell us about when you have more than one goal or goals that are competing with each other?
2: Yes, yeah, so there are uh, basically uh, two ways to think about multiple goals, which we always have. Okay, we never just want one thing. Okay, sometimes these are goals that we want to prioritize. Okay, one thing is more important than the other, and this is when we think about self-control. Okay, At other times these goals all need to uh, uh, live happily together, okay? So you need to uh, strike the balance or uh, find the uh, the compromise, okay? And so, you know, you might uh, uh, prioritize, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, healthy eating over unhealthy eating, if we can uh, go back to my earlier decision, Uh, but you will try to strike the balance between career and family, okay? And... Understanding what you are trying to achieve is critical for the strategies that you are going to uh, use. If it's about self-control, then you want to first identify temptation. So you want to use a, a broader decision frame so it's easier to see the temptation. And you want to anticipate temptation. You want to remind yourself that there will be a temptation and therefore you should prepare to counteract it. Uh, if it's about Balancing between goals, then it's really about finding compromises, negotiating between your different goals, and also find what we refer to as multifinal means—that is, activities or people or objects that help you achieve more than one goal. Okay, this is a commuting to work by bike. Okay, so that you get your exercise uh, and. Uh, Uh, and get to work at the same time, or bringing uh, uh, your lunch from home, uh, which means that you save money and save time and uh, and maybe also uh, eat healthier food. Uh, These uh, multifinal means I sometimes refer to them as feeding two birds uh, with one scone because I don't like killing birds.
0: Yes, I remember reading that expression in your book, and I loved it. I'm going to use that going forward. So you mentioned a a few different techniques there. So I want to dig into a couple of them. So when it comes to prioritizing goals and needing self-control, one of the things that you mentioned was broader decision frames. Can you tell our listeners a little bit
2: more about what that means and give an example? So as it turned out, the problem with our modern temptation is that often if you just do it once, nothing happens. Okay, It's perfectly fine to just have one time too much alcohol, to lose your temper one time, that will not destroy your relationship. It's okay, of course, to eat one cookie. It's uh, uh, okay to splurge uh, from time to time. And the problem is in accumulation. The problem is if you lose your temper like 10 times in a month, uh, that's going to have severe effect on your relationship. Uh, and, And so, What we mean by poor decision frame is thinking about what should you do, not just this time, but all the times that you will consider doing it this month, okay, or the next uh, uh, 10 times. Okay, Uh, Let me mention a study by uh, Abby Sussman, my colleague here at uh, Booth. Uh, She looked at exceptional expenses, and these are the things that people don't, Buy very often, like a bottle of champagne for a party, or a gift for a friend, or staying in a hotel uh, for you know, for a vacation. Uh, when people only make this purchase one at a time, uh, they are willing to overspend. Okay, they don't notice the temptation. But when she reminded them to consider all the times that they will buy gift for a friend this year or go on a vacation or you know i uh, go to the theater uh, they saw the temptation they saw that it's tempting to overspend on on this purchase and they spend less uh, and, and and therefore like the poor decision frame allows us to see that something is a problem okay uh, in my research we asked something like skipping war okay like staying home because you don't feel like going to work. If people consider it just once, then they say, oh, yeah, I can do this. If people consider doing it 10 times this year, then many people say, "Eh, I will go to work.
0: Super interesting, really important to put things in perspective in that way. And then on the other end, the other type of goals are when you have to balance your goals, right? And one of the techniques you mentioned there was compromising. And I know that's a word many people are familiar with, but it's often easier said than done. So, do you have advice for folks on how to compromise when they're trying to
2: balance competing goals? It often involves just understanding what you're trying to achieve here. Okay, a compromise can take two different patterns, okay? One is that you really find the the middle, okay? Like like you buy a product that is uh, uh, not uh, too expensive, but uh, uh, the quality is not uh, too low, okay? Uh, Or uh, uh, you go to a vacation that's not too long and not too short. Uh, Other times, compromising is more as balancing, okay? You alternate between options. You say, well, I, you know, I, I, uh, will uh, go for one option on sometimes times, then for the other option, and uh, some other times. Okay, so like, uh, the one example uh, is uh, compromising between uh, uh, healthy, um, expensive food. Healthy food, in particular, organic food, tends to be more expensive, and so people. Decided, like for certain foods, I'm going to buy organic, but not for others. Or sometimes I'm going for the organic store; other times I'm going to the, the just the regular uh, store. So I, I I balance between these uh, two equally important goals, which is like not overspend and uh, uh, and and buy uh, organic food. Uh, just understanding. What is the kind of decision that you want to make is is very helpful. Again, notice that I'm using a broad decision frame for the second type of balancing. Okay, I'm thinking not just what I'm going to buy today, but how that will fit with everything that I want to buy this month or, or, or this year, which is uh, uh, helpful. One thing to note is that when you engage in this balancing behavior, you want to make sure that Balancing doesn't turn into licensing, <laughs> and licensing is when you do what's bad now because you plan to be good in the future. Okay, so licensing is like, it, I'm just going to like spend money or eat unhealthy food or do whatever because I think that I will balance it out by doing what I should be doing tomorrow or next week, and this is not a healthy pattern. <laughs> Hmm. I think we've all
0: been guilty of doing the, oh, I'll have pizza for lunch because I'm going to the gym tonight thing and then only doing the first part.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I love your example. You know, I someone told me the other day that uh, when he drives to the gym, like he tries to make sure that he finds parking like the closest that he can to the door. And you know, like and of course, like you realize like, well, like, you want to move your body, why wouldn't you just park like the farthest from the door so that you'll get the extra walk? but we we engage in this like licensing behavior right I'm, I'm going to exercise, and why should I bother take any other step outside of the facility also guilty of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but I know Eric has some questions for you about social support as well.
1: Exactly. We know that uh, as human we are uh, deeply uh, social creature and your final ch- chapter is about the role of social support in goal setting. Uh, it's not all about ourselves, it's also about uh, others. So how can we leverage social support to help us reach our goals?
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you for this question. Uh, we are um, social animals as humans. Okay? Uh, we do things with others. okay, And we uh, pursue our goals in the presence of others. When we pursue goals with others, okay, it's like pulling a rope together. Okay, We, we need others to help. At work, almost always we do things with other people, okay? Whether we start a company or whether we work on a project, uh, we uh, work with other people, we need to coordinate. We uh, want to make sure that we have the right pattern of coordination that there is not too much loafing, okay? So that you know, pulling the rope is an example where like, people often don't work as hard as they can, okay? Uh, by identifying personal contribution, you can, pretty much get people to contribute even when they work in a group uh, and so people need to think about how to work with other people so that uh, we we are coordinated we are together and the other type of course are everything that we do by ourselves but still others are either there or they are in our mind okay so even if you're not actually watching me i have you watching me in my mind okay i about what other people are going to say or feel uh, about my actions and this is where having people in your life that support your goals that is that want you to be successful at what you're doing is absolutely critical because these people are watching you even if only in, in your mind. Uh, and so I uh, highly uh, recommend that uh, we'll tell people about our goals. We make sure that they are on board. If they are not on board, then let's find friends or mentors or colleagues that are supportive of what you are trying to do because we, we look around and we care about what the people around us uh, are thinking about what we are doing.
1: In fact, this uh, form of connection of social uh, support is not always accessible. So what are some different forms of social support beyond our inner circle? Do you have uh, any uh, advice for individuals seeking out uh, social support?
2: Well, it's actually easier now than ever because they are all there, uh, you know, <laughs> all the online uh, connection uh, tools. There are now uh, uh, apps and, and companies that uh, help people that provide the, the support. If you uh, decided to take a new hobby and your family is looking at you and, and think that maybe you lost your mind. Uh, You can find support online. You can uh, connect to a group of people who uh, want you to be successful. Uh, What I'm saying is that we need to realize that this is critical, that we cannot do things without social support, that we cannot be successful in our career, for example, if our family think that our career is, is not worthy. If the people around us uh, think that this is uh, foolish and uh, this is not something that they do, this is also not something that they endorse. When we look at uh, uh, role models, we find that it matters more what the role model wants you to do, their views, uh, than their actions. Like We conform more to uh, what other people endorse than what other people are actually doing. A a simple example is that when you look at, To buy a product, you often look at how other people rated the product, like the number of stars. You don't look at best sellers so much. You don't look at how much people consume it. We really care about what other people value more than what they actually do. And when it gets to to personal goals, if uh, uh, you are with uh, uh, the people or an online community or in your group that you found that want you to be successful uh, that, matters that's motivating
1: so social support is something which is absolutely uh, critical to get it done Uh, we are now uh, unfortunately at the end of uh, our conversation Suzanne, maybe uh, some last question
0: absolutely so you know we talked about some of your past research at the beginning that you really enjoyed do you have any new research that you're looking forward to working on
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I am, uh, uh, you know, my plate is always full. So a few projects, I'm uh, uh, very... You have competing goals? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, (laughs) yeah. you know they are all good so you constantly need to juggle or balance but uh i'm you know i'm very excited about work that we are uh, doing now on uh, the the healthy food myth and the idea uh, in particular in uh, the u.s that uh, health and taste are conflicting goals okay? and, uh, uh, this often results from the way people represent in their mind healthy food. Okay? People think about healthy food as uh, food that doesn't have spices, that is unprepared, okay? that is just raw and uh, and unappetizing. And they, and then they see this conflict. So this is work with Brad Tarnwell, and I'm very excited about that. I'm looking at patients and uh, how to help people be more patient, uh, with barriers for being patient uh, here with uh, Annabel Roberts, uh, uh, who is a, a PhD student about to graduate here, uh, school uh, here. Um, so so this is exciting and doing a lot of work on intrinsic motivation and trying to understand what it does it mean to have a fusion between an activity and a goal. And I am, Leaving a few other lines of whistle that I'm super excited about, just so that I don't overwhelm you with my to-do list.
0: Oh, I love it! This is amazing. So, of all of the different threads that you're exploring and have explored, and your expertise on the science of motivation, what is your hope for our collective future understanding of motivation?
2: Um, what do I think? I will go back to. Uh, you know where where I started that uh, we uh, we need to have empathy to ourselves. We need to understand what we like to and what is hard for us to do. Uh, a bit of uh, self love, uh, and with that, we have a better chance at, at designing an intrinsically uh, motivating path. Okay. Yeah. I really resist the idea of uh, planning to be a different person. And, you know, they, th- th- this is who you are. Okay? This is the person uh, that, uh, that you're very familiar with, that, that hates doing some things and enjoys others. And How can you find the, the fun and, and interesting and intriguing path for the person that you are? Amazing.
0: Well, those were all of our questions today. We are so grateful that you were able to join us. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with as we wrap up, perhaps where they can find more about you and your work?
2: Well, I hope that people will be interested in, in reading my book. I hope that they will check my website, aieletfishback.com. And I hope that uh, with the, the wonderful book that you, Eric and Susanna, are doing, people are just going to be more interested in the behavioral science because there's just so much that is going on in behavioral science. It's an exciting time to be a, a reader or a behavioral scientist.
1: Thanks a lot, Ayelet. We are really uh, grateful. We have loved your book, and we uh, do encourage our listener to uh, read this wonderful book. It was just uh, this conversation, uh, a first way to feel how insightful uh, it is. So please read, get it done. And a big thank you uh, to you, Ayelet, for this wonderful conversation. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Suzanne. Be Good, a podcast by the BVA Nudge Unit.